You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, Nick here. I hope you're enjoying a great weekend. It gives me great pleasure once again, as last year, to team up with the auction house Tattersalls to bring you access to their excellent Bloodstock podcast, The Bloodstock Bulletin, hosted by Gina Bryce. This is the first of two episodes I'll be posting this weekend with some truly excellent guests. So enough of me. It's over to Gina. Hello and welcome along to the Bloodstock Bulletin with me, Gina Bryce, in association with Tattersalls, where we return for this latest series in the build-up to Europe's premier source of high-class racehorses, book one of the Tattersalls October yearling sale. Welcome back for what is now episode 10 for those that enjoyed our build-up to last year's sale and welcome along to anyone just joining. Hopefully once again we can furnish you with a few pointers and some insight from some of the varied and diverse protagonists involved in book one this year. Very fittingly, we're going to kick off with a very international lineup from France to Australia, through the Middle East to Ireland, and back to home soil as we check in with Nicolas de Chambure to shine the light on our stallion in focus this week. Down under, we'll be hearing from Brad Spicer on the growing investment from Australians in Book One yearlings. We'll catch up with Book One bonus winner Ahmed Al Sheikh on exciting plans for convivial maiden winner Hu Yamal before speaking to one of the leading Irish consigners, Bally Phillips Studs, Paul McCartan, ahead of the sale of Batash's brother at this year's edition, our box office lot for week one. But first, with the first few summer yearling sales already underway in Europe, we welcome in the TDN's Emma Berry, who as always has been following the action very closely thus far, and joins us after what looked a rather lovely trip, judging by social media, Emma, to Baden-Baden. Um, Emma, very different circumstances, thankfully, that we find ourselves in this year. Um, how have you found the sales so far, and, and what sort of potential early indicators have we had? I think we can um, feel you know, fairly fairly confident with how the yearling sales have started, um, particularly at Tassels this week, actually, at the Somerville sale, that looked a really strong, uh, well, it's effectively the, the inaugural Somerville sale, but what used to be the Ascot yearling sale, which has gone from strength to strength. And yes, and, and the start of the year, and the start of the season in, in Deauville, uh, and as you say, last week in Baden-Baden, I mean, I think a, a relatively solid start, um, you know, to, to, to what's quite a long season. Yeah, and having been at Somerville this week, I think there's a real, I, I don't want to use the old cliche buzz about the place, but a real vibrancy, I think, obviously, the restrictions we've all had for the last 12 months aside, people are, are excited to be back and and the early signs are that that might just spill over into people getting carried away in the sales ring as well, perhaps. Well, you know, very much so. I think there is quite an air of people being delighted to see one another again, which, I mean, in, in all of life, not just not just in the thoroughbred industry, but I think what was really encouraging from, from last week at Tassels was just seeing, you know, real uh, interest and, as you say, a buzz in that sort of middle market, which is very important. I mean, you know, we're obviously going to be talking about book one and, and the real top end of the yearlings, the yearling market, but um, you need strength and depth, and that's uh, that's great to see. 
yeah, th- th- that's very true. There was a lot of those what you'd call t- trainers' horses in this part of the world, wouldn't you? And a lot of people in attendance there. Obviously, as you say, a slightly different market for book one when we get into those real premier high-end yearlings. And there's been a lot of talk about the loss of some of the big owner breeders this year, very sadly, um, late Sheikh Hamdan and and uh, Prince Khalid Abdullah as well. Do you think we've felt the effects of that or do you think we will indeed feel the effects come book one? Yes, up to a point, no question. I mean, Sheikh Hamdan, not only, you know, a very good owner breeder, but was a real supporter of the yearling market in particular and at certain sales. I think we might really um, feel his absence, certainly uh, perhaps at book two. Um, But the extraordinary thing about this industry is that there always seem to be new people getting involved at different levels. I mean, we've seen over the last couple of years, uh, last couple of seasons, some real interest from Bahrain and uh, certain entities there increasing their spending, uh, including KHK Racing, who've bought some fairly expensive yearlings um, in the last few seasons. And yes, it's, you know, there and I mean, we've also seen in Europe a really increased presence from American and Australian uh, buyers looking for European bred yearlings, which is, again, you know, it's... Yeah, it's a it's a great thing to see from the, from the point of view of the trade, which is which is what's important at the sales. Yeah, absolutely, and um, that is something we're going to come on to when we speak to one of our main guests, Brad Spicer. But the Australian investment in the sales is 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 kind of a, uh, new in terms of recent years, but those northern hemisphere breads going down to the southern hemisphere is quite a it's quite a unique concept, if you like. Yes, it is. Um, and I mean, you know, there have been certain people doing it for a while. John Foote, I, I would say, led the charge, an Australian bloodstock agent who who came up here. He uh, you know, has bought a number of horses that have done well down there, including um, 50 stars. Um, Jeremy Brummett does a lot of work with Danny O'Brien, and they had notable success with Book One graduate uh, Russian Camelot, who we spoke about last year, and, uh, you know, group multiple Group One winner down there, who's now at Stud, and encouragingly has been sent, I think, more than 130 mares this season at Widdenstad in Australia. So, you know, yes, it is um, interesting that they would want to come up here and you take horses a long way down there and integrate them into their own program and effectively be you know six months behind if you like but given that they're tending to focus on a sort of middle distance type of horse that's more of a progressive horse that's going to be coming to himself or herself in the um you know in their three-year-old seasons then you know it's 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 not a not a crazy thing at all you know it's um and clearly russian camelot for one has shown that you can do that with the yearlings not just by buying horses and training which has obviously been a feature for quite a number of years and do you think obviously we're keen to get that international investment back we can't pretend that the whole world is is as lucky as as us moving on without restrictions do you think we'll see as much interest this year um, despite those restrictions and have you been amazed at how well it's held up you know in spite of them over the last 12 months yes I mean people have found ways around it Um, I know I've spoken to Brad in the past and you know he's worked with Alex Elliott up here and you know they've they've come to they've worked together in person if you like in the past and have worked uh, well, this in you know apart, um, knowing what each other likes, which which helps. And yes, even even if people haven't been able to get to the sales through the sort of increased technological advances of of uh, videos and what have you, that's helped. 
as long as you know having an extra pair of eyes on the ground um and i think a lot a lot of people will make the trip perhaps not so many australians i think it's a lot tougher there still but there were plenty of americans in doville in august and i'm sure we'll be seeing plenty of park paddocks in a few weeks one breeding operation who has furnished the late Sheikh Hamdan and subsequently his family with an immeasurable amount of enjoyment is Bally Phillips Stud in Ireland, who as breeders of Batash are responsible for one of the most exciting horses to ever don the Shadwell silks. This year, the operation bring a full brother to the champion sprinter to the sale in the form of lot 379, Dark Angel out of Anna Law, part of a very strong draft steeped in the operation's history. So it felt only right to twist the arm of a usually very media shy Paul McCartan to talk about their potential box office lot. Yeah, he's um, sure he's um, our most exciting yearling, I suppose, this year. Um, folded home on the farm and he's never left the farm. He's never had a sick day in his life, and he's been the most straightforward horse you could imagine. Um, very, very good-looking horse, plenty of size and strength, depth, uh, great bone, great action, very, very correct, great feet. And uh, he's been a nice horse to have, but uh, I enjoy looking at him uh, in the field because he's got that really nice action. But there comes always a little bit of pressure with a horse like that on our, on our farm, you know. So <laughs> the sales are looming, so we're kind of um, we're looking forward to getting them sold, basically. <laughs> I bet. And yeah. you've had some very special ones through the years at the farm. We have. And when Betash was there, obviously, it was at the start of the story, really, for this mare. But That's people right. are going to want to know how similar he is to, to the Yeah, mare. well, funny enough, uh, Betash and Harry Angel, uh, they were... They were from the same crop, and they were actually foaled a couple of days apart. So they were together all the time in the field, and they were actually weaned together. And then we, um, they were in a, a group of about seven or eight colts together, you know, uh, for most of their life in Bally Phillip. And um, so they were two exceptional colts, but I've always said that Batash was the nicest horse we've ever had on the farm. And uh, like he was extraordinary, he, he was an extraordinary athletic horse and uh, great, um, great, uh, beautiful proportions, uh, great uh, constitution and uh, very athletic horse. And uh, but he, he had a quirky temperament. He definitely had a quirky temperament. And uh, uh, you could that was quite evident in him from, you know, an early age. Uh, but he, there, there was no badness in him. Just he just had a quirky yeah. So this horse is, um, he's very similar in an awful lot of ways, but uh, Batash was bay. This horse is a steel grey, and um, I would say physically, the lads at home tell me he's nicer looking than Batash. If he's not nicer looking than him, he's, he's almost as nice, so it's... It's one or, one or the other, you know. Is the temperament something, Paul, that runs through the family, or was that just a one-off? Um, I think that the mother, uh, I bought the mother here at, the, at uh, one of the small sales, I think the July sale, or no, it was uh, the horse and training sale, and um, I think she had a bit of that temperament as well, and you'd see a bit of it in her from time to time at home, you know, um, but she she's kind of very happy, you know what I mean? <laughs> she's got older, she's kind of, you know... She's kind of become more, uh, but she, you know, she was straightforward enough, but a little bit of quirkiness there, I suppose, all right, you know, yeah. like a lot of the good I ones, guess that's know. what's endeared the public to him. Has it been amazing to you to see just how popular this horse has become to people? It is, it's, it is, it's, it's so enjoyable to follow his career, you know, and it was, it was, um, we were very worried at the beginning, you know, like it looked like he could totally go the wrong way, and, uh, 
I think Charlie Hills, he just did such a brilliant job and all his team and he, he, he just put all the, the, the pieces in place there now and they got it right and his routine and everything like that. And uh, so I'm very grateful to them for what they've done, you know. <laughs> well, fingers crossed for him at the sale. And Paul, it would be remiss not to mention what looks a really interesting draft again for book one this year. You've got families that we've come to know as Bally Phillip families, Extension, Harry Angel, you mentioned, Pierre Lapin, That's Chiggy right. Wiggy. Just yeah. any to flag up that you've Yeah, got well, we, uh, yeah, we have a three-part sister there to Tiggy Wiggy, a cardiac filia out of uh, Tiggy 2, who's by Beta Breath. And uh, she's, um, I really like her now. She's very similar to Tiggy Wiggy. And she's not, not a big filly. If you're expecting a big, strong mare to go point to point, and you're going to be disappointed. She's not a big filly. But she's very athletic, and she's got a big backside on her. And she, to me, she looks like what it says in the tin. You know, she'll, uh, she'll be, I'll be hoping for the queen, something for the Queen Mary now, or something like that, you know. But I really like her, yeah. And then uh, we have another Dark Angel Colt as well. Um, who be closely related now to Harry Angel, and he's out of uh, Good Night and Joy, and uh, her first foal is a Herat, so it's the same cross again, uh, filly called White Lavender, that we didn't actually um, bring to the sales at all. We uh, sent her to Joe Murphy uh, back in Ireland, and he did a fantastic job at her. Didn't run her at all as a two-year-old. She was a little bit weak, and she came home for a rest and went back again, and... Um, she won first in Mountain Lavendish over five furlongs, and she was very unlucky to be second in the list race in Tipperary there only about 10 days ago. So um, uh, that's White Lavender now, and she's a very exciting filly. Joe thinks very highly of her, like, and um, and so does the Gary Carroll, the jockey. You know, they yeah. think she's a proper group filly. So that could be a real great update to Lot 50. I'll look at well, that it's, one uh, we were happy with the bit of black type we got already, so we, yeah. we can't be greedy. <laughs> And uh, just a quick one on Harry Angel. Obviously, breeders of Harry Angel. He's got his first yearlings coming to market. Have you been impressed with the stock that you have seen? Well, funny enough, I, I haven't seen that many of them because um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I saw some as foals and I tried to buy one and uh, I got beaten. Uh, but a very nice horse, I thought. And um, I actually had a mare in fo I sent a mare and uh, she went in Fulton, but she actually died. So I don't have any Harry Angels to sell, which wasn't, which wasn't the plan at all. I was hoping to have one or two, but that's the way the horse business works sometimes. So we'll just we'll have to put up with nice that. It'd be nice to see a stock go through the ring yeah. the same, I bet. I might buy him an extra now. There might be a bit of value there next year and we'll see if he, if he does what I think he might do as, uh, with his first crop of two-year-olds. Well, really great to hear from Paul there, not only on their very exciting draft as always, but as the breeders of Harry Angel, he's no doubt going to have a very shrewd eye on what the stock does this year. And as we bring Emma Berry back in, it's a good opportunity to shine the light on what's an exciting time when we get the first glimpse of some of those first crop stallions. Um, Harry Angel has made a, a good start at the yearling sales, having had the top lot at Goffs UK so far. Are the vibes good for him and what are the horses that you're really looking forward to seeing at the upcoming sale? Yes, it does. It does look like a you know a strong strong bunch of um, of freshman size. I mean, every year we sort of seem to get a larger number of stallions retiring to stud. And as you say, Harry Angel's already had a couple of good results. You know, he was a a fast horse. I think you know um, there's a lot of emphasis on speed um, these days, but we've also got um, you know plenty of of stallions in that in that group of with their first yearlings this year that. You know, we might be expecting to see them be sort of, you know, throwing some more progressive types as well. And sort of like, well, the sadly now lost Roaring Lion. These are his only yearlings that we'll see. Um, and then we've also got 
you know, Saxon Warriors, a very exciting first season sire. Um, Zustar, the, who's, who's not unknown, if you like, because he's already got plenty of runners down in Australia, but this is his first European yearling since he's been at Tween Hill Stud. And, uh, yeah, and I think we've got plenty to look forward to in that. Uh, so, you know, so it's always really interesting to start to see the type of horses that these um, these stallions are throwing and um, getting a sense of, you know, it's only it's only one indicator of how they actually look. What happens on the track is the most important. But, uh, yeah, there'll be plenty of people, uh, uh, you know, paying close attention to these these first crop sires because they always engender plenty of interest and i know you you've been out at the foal sales last year and just what you've seen on the farms are there any that you're particularly excited or, or your kind of top pick if you like at this very early stage well of the, i saw i looked at quite a lot of yearlings um in Deauville um and in germany last week and actually i've seen quite a few um cracksman yearlings that i've really liked they just look very athletic so, well, he was, you know, he's got a lovely big long stride himself, and uh, I've seen some really good walking cracksman horses. It'd be interesting to see how they get on. He's, of course, a top class horse, and a son of Frankel, who uh, is having an absolutely tremendous season himself. Well, from our first box office lot, we moved on to potential stallions of note, and with that in mind, I thought it also worth shining the spotlight on another sire with the potential to really take off in the coming year. Almanzor, the champion son of Wooden Bassett, went to stud with much fanfare, and with the top yearling average last year, a across all European jurisdictions. Expectations have been high, but just a handful of runners so far leaves us with a small sample size with which to make decisions going into this year's sale. But speaking to Ara Detroham's Nicolas de Chambieu, ahead of the four catalogued lots by the SAR in book one this year, there is much cause for optimism. Well, so, so, I mean, the first test really was the was his first season of stud uh, when we you know after after a strong a strong group of beaters that came in through the syndication that we did um you know outside of that he he was very well received he covered a full full book of my that 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 first year um so so that was the you know the first uh, the first step and then we were very pleased with the look of his first fall uh, and even more as yearling because I felt that they, they have progressed very well physically. They've grown into, into sort of, uh, you know, horses with, with size and scope and, and good walk and, and attitude. So, uh, uh, I think we were very pleased with that. And, and the market has said the same because they, they, they sold well. They went to good homes and, 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 you know, it looked like, uh, agent trainers and owners were, were keen to, to to buy them and and put them into their stable, so uh, so that was that was very good, um, and um, and as you mentioned, he only had uh, about ten twelve runners, which is you know a very little sample uh, at this stage. Uh, a good of, a good few of them have been you know placed first time out. Uh, one has won, um, um, but all the comments are, are about the same from trainers that. It seems to be needing a bit of time. Uh, they seem to be a bit, bit immature physically, uh, and they've, they've grown quite a bit. Uh, so the autumn is going to be uh, everything uh, that they need, uh, and we, we should see a good few of them starting this month uh, in in France, England, and Ireland. Uh, so you know everything is, as we say, is, is yet to come, and even more next year. I think there would be. Uh, after talking to the to the trainers, I spoke with with Jean Claude Rouget again the, the other day. That obviously trained him and, and has a good few of them. And and he mentioned again that that he felt 
he trained him very badly, you know, as a two year old that because he 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 I mean he he reminded me that, that he should have been a horse that 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 should have run twice as a three year old starting in, in October because he was tall and, and still a bit unfurnished and not really ready. Um so so you know he 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 really sees them as as you know back end of the of the season and and three all really so uh, we're very hopeful of of that. And we'll go on to talk about his sire Wotton Bassett. But as as far as physical models go, lots of UK and European breeders have had chance to have a look at them now. Just outline what they're like and how typical they are of the stallion and and where you're expecting them to be the later developing types. What can breeders expect when they breed to almonds or? Uh, horses with with you know with size and scope and 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 bone and and good athleticism. I think uh, I think um, you know he's, he's he's quite a tall uh, tall horse himself with plenty of substance uh, and uh, and um, and so he he would be yeah, he would be throwing something like that uh, and and he passed on a lot of his quality. You know the 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 the, the quality. Most of I mean most of them. Even though they have some of the mother uh, of the dam sort of colors or, or, or attribute a little bit, they, they all have quality and a, and a good work. So I think he's a, in that sense, he's, he's, he's a, you know he's an easy horse to use for for a breeder. And looking at the four catalogued for book one, uh, Nicolas, some really exciting pedigrees. I mean, the half brother to Palace Pier Beach Frolic. Do you know anything about the yearling? Yeah, and the four yearlings shows actually the strengths of the of the um, the, the the breeders that that bought into that bought share and in, into Almonds are because uh, obviously you know so Beach Frolic was you know is bred by Eichler who, who are shareholders in 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 Almonzo. And um, you know they've always been very complimentary about about him physically. They've been sending me pictures, and and he looks like a very very good colt. They've always been you know yeah very pleased. Uh, Biswa was was I think sold in full, uh, and 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 but but it was you know the 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 mating was done by SF who were shareholders in in Almonzo, and and we sold just gorgeous and Rostonia in full to to Almonzo. So. Um, you know, all those all those horses were mated, you know, by, by shareholders, and and on on pedigree, it's a, it's a it's a good group, it's a solid group, and and uh, and I've I've had good report from from all of them, so I'm looking forward to see them. Yeah, brilliant stuff. We'll look forward to seeing them in action in a few weeks' time, and it would be remiss not to mention Wooten Bassett. I know I'm biased, but speaking to you, Nicola, it's obviously very different times for the farm now. He continues under the care of Coolmore. But can you sum up what what that's like now for you, for a horse that's just been so integral to Etraham to now watch his career go on from here? Well, it's, it's great because, I mean, all the, all the, still the three-year-old and the two-year-old and even the fall this year, I mean, there was a few crops to come that we, that were conceived when he was still at Etraham. So we feel very much linked to all those uh, Good horses that he that he that he has on the, on on the track right now, and and it's great to see the you know the connections of the, these horses and the breeders, you know, being rewarded for 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 their faith that they had in in the horse. Um, because I mean, even an, until this fall crop, even if he was bred uh, at forty thousand, 
you know, uh, most of the foreign readers uh, were still a bit unsure about him. You know, we've seen so many horses, so many stallions uh, doing great with small numbers, and 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 they never really sort of continue that train with better mares or with bigger numbers. So people are always cautious, uh, you know, from after after a good start. And I think it's only now that people are reala- realizing how, how good Stalin is. So, you know, fair play to all the people that, that have, that have used him before he went to Kulmo. You know, it was, uh, it was, you know, they trusted us. They trusted our, our, our face that we had in the horse and, and, and all that. So I'm very happy for them. And then we're still, you know, very much involved. I mean, a little bit involved in him. So, you know, we're going to continue to, you know, to breed mass to him and, and to use him, and 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 so we we you know every success, we're happy to see you know to, to see him doing really well. Absolutely, and the legacy lives on through Almanzor. Um, Nicola, thank you so much. Well, Emma, I didn't intend to make the podcast all about Wilton Bassett, but it it was relevant speaking to Nicola all the same. And I thought it was worth honing in on on those stallions that are still full of potential. And I thought really interesting thoughts from Nicola on on what could yet still be to come for a horse like Almanzor. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, you know, for Almanzor, um, to be honest, I won't be expecting to, to see, you know, to be starting to make a judgment on his stock until next year, as as Nicola alluded to, a lot of his stock are, you know, quite big, strong horses that might take a little more time to come to hand. He's had, a, you know, some two-year-old winners already, um, but it'll be very interesting to see what his, you know, first sort of classic generation, if you like, can do next year. And he's a fine-looking animal, and and he gets some really good-looking stock as well. So, and he's been. You know, a terrific advertisement for for Wooden Bassett, who, um, you know, it's fair to say that a charm took quite a you know, chance on standing Wooden Bassett and they've done a brilliant job with him and it's really, he's been one of the key sires who's really boosted a, you know, or, or um, brought about quite a resurgence in the in the French um, stallion and breeding industry generally and, uh, you know, he's obviously now in Ireland and, and has covered an enormous book at Cornwall this year um, but and it's a real feather in the cap to Nicola de Chaumur and the team at Tram that he's done so well and was so attractive to a major farm like Cornwall. Yeah, and I think frightening that the best is is still yet to come, given what he's been able to do from, as Nicola, you know, outlined there, cheaply bred horses, even in in the ones we're seeing on the track now. So it's going to be a very exciting times ahead uh, for him as well. Well, one of the characteristics of recent editions of Book One of the Tattersall's October Yearling Sale has been the increased investment, as Emma alluded to at the top of the show, from Australian buyers, with around 20 horses from last year's sale heading down under. Now, one such buyer on the purchasers list has been Spicer Thoroughbreds, who, buoyed by the success of recent purchases, will be back this year, albeit sadly with lockdown restrictions in Australia preventing a trip in person. And speaking to Brad Spicer, I began by asking him what the situation is currently at his base near Melbourne? Uh, Racing-wise, Gina, it hasn't really affected racing because we've continued to race all the way through. Um, The the, the jurisdictions over here have done a wonderful job keeping the participants racing, being jockeys, trainers and the horses. Um, But we're locked out of out of uh, uh, p- participating on course at the moment, so we're all watching from home. But luckily, luckily enough, we've got uh, terrific uh, vision through Racing.com or Sky Channel that we can sit back and watch and still punt on and participate in the uh, you know, the betting side of it. 
But, um, yeah, it's, it's been a bit sad because it looks like we won't have um, a crowd for the Melbourne Cup, maybe Caulfield Cup, Cox Plate this year, which, you know, obviously it's our key carnival coming up. But, um, yeah, hopefully it's the last of it and we can all get vaccinated and get back on track for next year. Yeah, let's very much keep our fingers crossed. We've all been there, so we know what it's like, but such a shame all the same. And with the yearling sales in mind, I know you've had some successful forays to Tattersalls in the past that began back in 2018. Presumably you won't be able to make the trip this year? No, we won't be up there this year, but um, uh, look, I've been pretty fortunate. I've met Alex Elliott uh, in uh, Germany a few years ago and struck up a good friendship and we had to pivot last year through the you know the yearling sales season up there and Alex was kind enough to uh, put his hand up and do our physicals on the ground up there and buy a couple of really nice horses. So we're doing that again this year in five weeks' time at Tattersalls and, and uh, fortunately enough, it's, it's actually pretty daunting when you've got to trust someone else now, with your eye, and I sort of told Alex what I like in a, in a yearling, and um, he went and purchased a really nice Camelot colt and a Sir Percy colt for us, and you sort of get a bit nervous because you've got you got to trust someone. But I tell you what, when the horses got off the plane here and we were up, able to see them after quarantine, uh, I breathed a big sigh of relief because obviously Alex has got a great eye. He uh, he bought the perfect specimen for what you know I believe you know. Is a really good um, product for Australia. Yeah, that's that's really good news because, as you say, it is difficult when it's out of your control. That said, you have been here before. Just to kind of run us through what you are looking for when you come up to this this market. Yeah, look, you know, obviously the horses from from England and Ireland and France have been coming out here dominating our our staying races, but mainly buying was tried horses, and it got quite expensive trying to source those horses. So. Uh, I thought we'll, we'll get over there and try and buy some yearlings, uh, bring them back here to Australia very early and break them in over here and just put them through the system. And I think it's really important doing that because we've seen a lot of the the, uh, the older horses come out and really jar up on our, our hard tracks here because um, obviously they don't get those sort of hard tracks in Europe. Yeah. And I think if you can get them out here and put them through the system and bring them on gradually, that bone density really builds up nice and slow. And I've spoken to a lot of vets about it over the years. And I think, well, I know we're on the right track now after buying our first uh, couple of horses that, you know, they're just starting to get used to it. Their uh, ones had five starts for three wins. The other ones had three starts uh, from seven, so three wins from seven starts. And they're just starting to get used to the hard ground, even though they're now uh, five-year-olds and very lightly raced. But, um, you know, we've done that specifically just bring them on nice and slow just to make sure their bones are all, all ready for the rigors of racing over here. Yeah, and, and that said, you're um, dealing with Northern Hemisphere breads on Southern Hemisphere time. So what's the time scale for that program? What do you do with them when you get back? Do you have to wait? How do you manage their careers time-wise? Yeah, so generally we, we buy in October. So they've had the nice summer in Europe. Um, they'll get off the plane here sort of the first week of December. Um, they'll come out of quarantine halfway through, then we'll get them broken in straight away. So, you know, sort of six weeks to break them in. And then they'll go to the paddock, um, you know, for probably eight weeks just to get over, you know, the, you know, the flight over and uh, just a bit of R&R. &R. So they'll get an another little break during summer. And I, I think it's really good for them to acclimatise as well. So we don't put a lot of pressure on them in the first 12 months. They just come in and out of the stables just until they're ready mentally and, and physically. And we tend to try and give them a couple of trials sort of in 12 months' time uh, and then get them back out on the spring grass here in Australia because it's it's the best time to spell these younger horses, get that spring sun on their back, the spring grass into them and then start really putting a little bit more pressure on them after that. Yeah, and 
as far as the the program goes there we look from afar and see the sprinters coming over and doing so well here at Royal Ascot but of course Melbourne Cup being your biggest race is that program tailored for those kind of middle distance horses and that's presumably what you're looking for yeah exactly it's it's really funny Gina the, the market over here or our, our commercial breeding market is all geared around breeding sprinter milers um you know which has been terrific for all the you know the studs and you know they they really achieve great prices at the sales and and the service fees but when you really drill down on uh the prize money here in Australia, all the big end prize money is in our cups and the Cox plates, and so I just think it's a bit topsy turvy. So that's why we sort of sent a bit of a shortfall in the market that we can get over to Europe and buy these uh, high class stayers uh, as yearlings, and then uh, bring bring them back and, and target some of our better staying races. So I'm sure it's going to come to fruition for us uh, probably over the next six to twelve months because we've taken our time with these younger horses, but they're showing their their good quality. Uh, potential cups horses for next year and and that's where the money is presumably as you said in these big races so is there quite a big appetite a, a, a syndicate because you obviously syndicate a lot of these horses is there an appetite with the australian buyers there to, to get hold of these yearlings yeah look it's, it's a tough sort of call to educate people on uh the patience that needed to uh, undertake when you're buying these yearlings so i think it's about the messaging to your clients and to make sure that they know that you're on the journey it's a long journey and you've got to wait but the, wor- the wait's worth it at the end, you know. So, um, and, and the last three years we've been buying the horses, I, I can see that because the guys that um, have been in our first year have all come back and bought the second, third year and going to go again in the fourth year. So they all can see it's working. And uh, as soon as we get a, a nice big group on winner like a Russian Camelot of 50 stars, I'm sure uh, uh, we'll be able to, just, instead of buying two a year, hopefully extend that to sort of half a dozen yearlings every year. Yeah, absolutely. And and Camelot, as you say, has done so well down there. Are there other stallions in particular that are on your radar? And how do you kind of measure those that that are going to capture the imagination, if you like, of the Australians? Yeah, look, you sort of follow the, the stallions that have been coming out because um, there's been a few Australians buying yearlings over there for the last you know five or six years. And um, horses like 50 stars, you know, see the stars, uh, Russian Camelot by Camelot and um and we've seen Frankel have uh, a terrific run over here. You know, a horse like Hungry Heart, um, a group by winner. He's got amazing stats for his uh, winners to stakes uh, runners over here. So, uh, you know, you sort of try and target horses or stallions that have uh, done it here in Australia because I think, you know, we do get those hard tracks, especially here in Melbourne, Gina, that you've got to sort of make sure you get the right horse uh, that can withstand that. So, you know, the, the Camelot breed, seem pretty hardy and so far you know the see the star stock seem pretty hardy as well so we'll probably target those sort of horses we've had good luck with see the moon obviously he's the son of see the stars and uh you're getting quite exy at the sales at, you know at the moment but um hopefully we can try and find another one because we've, we've purchased one for the last couple of years over there and we're not quite uh, there yet building up to book one still but from what you've seen the early indicators in the in the yearling markets here um have you got plans in place for how many you might buy and and everything stacked up ready to go for for october 
Yeah, look, we're looking to buy two Colts, you know, whether it be book one or, or book, book two. Um, obviously, yearly markets have gone through the roof, uh, even though we're all in a lockdown and everyone's sitting in front of their computers and they've got more time and hands to buy. <laughs> That's uh, it, isn't it? <laughs> and, and, and no one's been going out, Jenna's spending their money, so they're spending on horses or boats or houses at the moment, so uh, it's all disposable income and, um, you know, we're just seeing that right across the board. I think I've only seen one sale in the last 12 months dip and it might have been Goffs and every other sale around the world it's gone right through the roof, you know, going up 10, 20%. So I'm sure it's going to be strong, but as it should be, it's one of the best, um, you know, books in the world for staying horses. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And I, I can't let you go without mentioning the boy uh, Star Spangled Banner, who, of course, um, you know so well. Tell us a little bit about your involvement with him and, and how impressed you've been with or certainly how he's been doing in recent years. Yeah, so we purchased him here in Australia at the Ewing sale. That we paid 120000 and uh, he obviously went on to be uh, the champion sprinter here in Australia. And Coolmore come knocking and purchased him. I think that was about $10 million was the purchase price. So it was a, an amazing ride for the owners and uh, set uh, a lot of people up for life. Uh, it was, yeah, it was truly, and for me, for business, it was, uh, was amazing because it really put our uh, name at the forefront. So we had to launch and buy much better stock from that point on. But uh, when he went to uh, Europe on the two big group ones over there, uh, you know, he just, uh, you know, he really asserted himself. And really tells the world that Australia is probably the, the, the paramount country for, for breeding sprinters. Um, and then to watch his stud career sort of, uh, it was a bit of a roller coaster early because he was a bit uh, infertile the first couple of years, but they managed to turn him around at Rosemont Stud and um, you know, he obviously shuttles back up to Coolmore every year. And I think uh, the last 12 months has been his uh, his best year on record, and he seems to really gel up in uh, the north, northern hemisphere. He's just um, you know, flying at the moment, so pretty proud moment for for someone who buys yearlings. That's that's the ultimate, you know, getting a horse from the yearling sales and being a champion, and then being a, a fantastic success at start as well. It really has. Well, it's been amazing to watch. We look forward to hopefully seeing your name on a few tickets alongside Alex, of course, under these circumstances this year. But Brad, thanks so much for your time. And Emma, the Australian market is something that you're quite familiar with as well. And I thought really interesting to hear the thoughts and just outlining how, for me in particular, those northern hemisphere breads, if they get them there early enough, they can build that bone density and really adapt to what's a very different way of racing down there. I thought that was really insightful. Yes, it is. I mean, they've clearly taken, you know, quite a, well, not necessarily a scientific approach, but they've thought very um, clearly about how they want to um, acclimatise these horses properly. And um, yes, I mean, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops, how much more investment they, they you know, they've, they've made a significant um, uh, splash, if you like, in, in the last few years with buying yearlings. Um or, and how many of these go down there, you know, do well and perhaps end up at stud there themselves, you know, might in the end uh, negate the need to come and, and source stock here. But um, as it is at the moment, they're buying the stock of some really, you know, uh, highly credentialed middle distance stallions, which is which is what we need. You know, we need the diversity in the stallion market um, right through. And it's good to see, you know, supporters of those type of stallions 
far and wide, I mean, in Australia and, and in America. And Brad touched upon it there, obviously talking about the Australian breeding model being geared very much towards speed. Do you think with the success and proliferation of these horses and indeed the shuttle stallions, we might see a bit of a shift to, to them standing their own middle distance stallions, if you like? I hope so. I think it's coming gradually, but I'm not sure if it will ever. I, mean, I don't think you can necessarily turn it around completely. I just think people might take the view, well, look, you know, there's no reason we can't breed this type of horse here on our, you know, on our own farms and stand these stallions. And um, but yeah, the the important factor for any any person taking on a stallion stud is that that, that people breeders will use them. And if if they're not going to be supported by by local breeders, then that makes it tough to to justify standing those horses. But there's absolutely no reason why they can't breed uh, top class middle distance horses in Australia. It just needs a slight change of mindset. So really interesting to see how things develop over the coming years in Australia. Um, but one thing we do know is that buyers racing in Europe certainly look on with envy at their prize money levels uh, down under. But one thing that uh, will hopefully go some way to helping on these shores is, of course, the hugely successful Tattersall's £20,000 book one bonus scheme for winning a qualifying race. Very welcome incentive for owners. And one of the most exciting winners of, of that uh, bonus so far has been the Andrew Balding trained Hu Yama who was sourced for just 40,000 guineas by his owner, Ahmed Al-Sheikh, who I caught up with earlier this week. Ahmed, first of all, congratulations winning the Convivial. Tell us a little bit about, about how you picked this horse out. Thank you very much, uh, Gina. Yeah, actually, I, I like always to buy from uh, Tethersel, especially book one and book two. Uh, this horse, I like him individually. Uh, when he, I saw the page, but... Uh, I like him when I saw him individual more than the page, really. And that's why I go for him. And uh, he's, I success with him. That's the, the things, really. Absolutely. And he's by territories. Um, was that a stallion you had on your radar? Or, as you say, was it more the physical with him? No, I, I like the, the sire. But I don't think, uh, when I saw him, I thought he will take time to, produ to produce uh, good horses, really. But uh, suddenly when I bought him and I like him and he's success and I think, I think this sire by time he will, uh, he will produce very good horses. And the success this horse has had, he certainly looks exciting for the future. Just talk us through when you got an idea from the trainer that he, that he might be quite useful. Actually, since uh, Mr. Andrew Bolding uh, received the horse, he received two, three horses for me in the same time. And he told me, this horse, Ahmed, maybe he will be the best one for you for the two years old since November. And, uh, and then in October or, or May, he told me, oh, you have, I think this year still you have one more good horses because I have success with them last two years. And uh, then I say, we will hope, yeah. Then in June, he told me, Ahmed, I don't think the horse, I like him like before. In, in May, but uh, suddenly in August or end of July, he told me, Ahmed, the horse come back. I like him more like first day I saw him. Then from that day, we, we know we have something good. And actually, this horse will be three years old, more more uh, fun Even than two years old. Yeah, 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 that's what uh, we show. Yeah. How impressed were you with him at York? Yeah. Really, we go to York and we know he work. Uh, last piece of work is very good work, but... Uh, we thought he will be from first three, four, but how uh, what we see in him is uh, really we surprised. Absolutely, and as you say, a yeah, really, really. Ex exciting future. Is the plan 
obviously to to run at Doncaster by the time people listen to this we'll know where he's finished there but long term what are you thinking with this horse yeah he will go to Doncaster maybe I am not sure he will go to the uh, the group one one mile in Doncaster end of the season yeah in October so end of October I think if no we will go direct to the Guinness Fantastic. Well, such exciting yeah. times ahead. And, and for you, winning, obviously, a very valuable maiden at York. And, and how much of an incentive is the, is the book one uh, bonus? See, th- this bonus helps all the owners, not only small owners or big owners, because this is hope, you know. But uh, always book one produce very good horses, expensive or is not expensive. Always in book one, there are uh, good horses. And uh, especially when you win a bonus, like somebody give you a horse training fees for one year, that it help a lot for the owners. And uh, of course, the you and other owners, they say, oh, we will go back to grow, uh, book one then. That's, uh, that's good things if uh, we win with the uh, bonus. You know, I think I, t- I am talking about my, our people in my country and around our country. They, they go there and they say, oh, we put more money in... Uh, and book one to, to buy a horse from there better than we buy like 50,000, 40,000 from different sales. Then if you bought from there, it will cover them. Well, particularly if you can be as shrewd as you've been in finding one for 40,000 guineas. Ahmed, good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck for the rest of the season and next year as well with him. And hopefully we look forward to you seeing you in much. October. Thank you. We'll see you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Well, Tattersall's marketing director, Jimmy George, will also very much be looking forward to seeing Ahmed Al-Sheikh and the whole range of buyers back to this year's edition of the sale. And speaking to him at this week's Somerville yearling sale, I started by asking him how much he's looking forward to operating under somewhat easier conditions this year. Yes, Gina, mercifully, hopefully very different to last year's October yearling sale, but one two, three, four, basically the whole the whole Tattersall sales season, everybody's sales last year were ravaged by the COVID-related issues. Um, I mean, looking back on it, gosh, I mean, it, it, it's remarkable how well everything went, um, particularly the October yearling sales here from start to finish at Tattersall's. We were enormously grateful. Um, Grateful to everybody who took part because it really did reflect incredibly well on, on everybody. Buyers, sellers, everybody taking part, vets, people leading the horses up. I mean, everybody put in a huge effort. They adapted to the requirements unbelievably well and with enormous patience and good humour at times, which you needed. God, you need to be patient at times. It was very different. You know, we couldn't have you know the site was not open to all and sundry as it would normally be there were strict protocols in place people had to pre-register to gain access to Tattersall's park paddocks unheard of you know one of the things we all love about the sales here at Tattersall's is they're open to everybody doesn't matter whether you're turning up spending you know intending to spend lots and lots of money or turning up here to buy a cup of tea everybody's welcome but last year they weren't and you know that was out of our hands mercifully we are back pretty well to normal uh starting with the august sale that was the first sale we've had since the whole wretched covid that was conducted under pretty well normal um normal circumstances open to everybody the um the somerville yearling sale has been our second sale conducted um 
with with everybody free to roam as it were and we've got the Tassels Island September yearling sale running um, similarly so we've had a good lead into October and it's been fantastic to see everybody back see everybody pretty relaxed with a smile on their face and we've even had some sunshine which uh, if that lasted till October we'd all be thrilled to bits but uh, it's made a huge difference and we've still got you know it'd be wrong to pretend it's it's completely plain sailing because there are still issues surrounding overseas travel <clears throat> we can't pretend otherwise but most of the key markets are pretty well free to come into the united kingdom with relatively little inconvenience certainly europeans buyers from throughout europe buyers from north america they're good to go as long as they're doubly vaccinated and that's fantastic so a huge sector of our overseas buyer base is free to enter the united kingdom with minimum of fuss there are a few other hoops to uh, to jump through in some other parts of the world but basically we're open for business at tattersall's and uh, that's very much the message as we go into book one of the october yearling sale one positive if there are any from from last year jimmy is that the measures that were put in page to facilitate those overseas buyers online bidding will they still continue to be available for people that can't make it yeah, it's, it's funny what comes out of, is, is born out of necessity. Um, and, uh, you know, you're hard to put too many positive spins on the whole COVID um, issue. But it did prompt us to roll out the live internet bidding uh, very quickly last year. And, of course, uh, telephone bidding through TATS representatives on the ground. They were very quickly embraced by buyers from throughout the world and were vital to the smooth running of the sales last year. We've Even as things have opened up this year, they're still being very widely used, particularly the live internet bidding. People have got huge confidence in that process now. It's here to stay. None of us would pretend we want uh, you know, that sort of live internet side of things to, to replace the public auction, traditional conventional public auction scene that we all, we all place so much importance by. And it won't, but it is now an important component part of the way we do business and a very valuable tool for buyers who, for whatever reason, are not able to attend the sales or may have attended the sales, done their business and decided, OK, I'll go home now and I'll bid from from home. So the, the, the whole live internet bidding scene has, has really transformed the way we conduct, conduct the sales and uh, is very much a, a long-term long -term addition. So we all look forward to getting back to Tattersalls under more normal circumstances, including Emma, who is still with me. And before we sign off this edition, obviously it's a glittering star-studded lineup again catalogued for book one. But Emma, are there any in particular that you're really looking forward to seeing? Yes, as you say, you can almost flick the catalogue open and whichever page it falls on, um, there's going to be a nice yearling on it. But I suppose a couple of horses I've enjoyed following over the last season of, uh, seasons have been Broom and Point Lonsdale, the Four Brothers by Australia, bred by um, Croom House Stud. And they have in, in their draft this year the, the Lope de Vega half-sister to those two um, very talented horses. So certainly she's certainly one I'll be very interested to see how she gets on. And she's by a very good Sally in herself as well. So yes, but uh, yes, it's pick and mix, isn't it? There's a, a wonderful assortment, really. 
Well, thanks to Emma and to all our guests. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode 10 of the Bloodstock Bulletin in association with Tattersalls. Don't forget that book one of the Tattersalls October yearling sale takes place from the 5th to the 7th of October in Newmarket. And hopefully we look forward to seeing plenty of you there. Thanks for listening and we hope to welcome you back for the second episode of this four-part series in the build-up to the sale. We'll be back next Thursday. Bye for now.